Um, we are picking back up. Last week we had, uh, we had guests from out of town. I mean, from another continent, Africa. But this year, this week, rather, we're picking back up on the caught red-handed sermon series. And if you, if you remember the premise, it is, is there evidence in your life to, to, that someone would declare you guilty of being a follower of Jesus? And it's interesting because through the sermon series, um, I find myself personally challenged and convicted during every single one of the sermons. I'm like, ooh, okay, Holy Spirit might be touching on a little something right there. And so I think that that is a great question to ask. Is there evidence in our lives that we are a follower of Jesus? I think that's a good question to ask, right? Instead of going, I go to church you know, I, I do my tithes, I, I give it thanksgiving, I put a little money in those, those uh, the red buckets for the Salvation Army. That's, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, is there evidence in your life that says that you are a follower of Jesus? I think one of the evidences that Jesus himself demonstrated so well is serving. And so I want us to look, go to Matthew 20. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today. Um, not all, thank you. Not all of it's going to be up there. So I hope that you brought a Bible of some sort, whether paper, old school like me, or an electronic Bible. I'll let that pass. Just kidding. So the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, said this about himself in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 28, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself said he came not to be served. If there was anybody ever worthy to be served, it would have been Jesus. And yet he declared, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. But you know what? Jesus didn't just talk the talk. Jesus walked the walk. And so we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And we're going to look at an example of this. Go to John 13. Okay. Are you guys there? I hear some papers rustling. I like it. I like it. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he, he loved them to the end. Not just when it was easy. He loved them when it was hard. During supper, understand the context here. We just celebrated Holy Communion. We just celebrated the Last Supper. That's the context. You know, the Gospel of John doesn't actually specifically talk about the Last Supper or that Passover meal. But that's the setting where we're at here in John chapter 13. So I want you to have that in your mind. When they're talking about supper, they're talking about that supper, right? During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. 
I love the way John writes because he's like packing in all of these details and concepts so that we really understand what's going on. I think sometimes we can read things and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But John, he's like, no, 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 slow down just a little bit. Let me set, let me set the stage for you a little bit. So we are at that supper. We are at that moment. It goes on to say, hey, devil's already entered into Judas's heart. But it says that Jesus loved them to the end. There's a lot in those three verses. And that leads us into Jesus here in this moment. They're about to break bread. Now, if you understand anything about Bible times, when they would eat, they, they weren't sitting at a, a table and chairs, you know what I mean, all proper and, and, and all cool. No, this is how they did it. Hi, what's up? They're like this. They're laying on the ground next to each other. Well, whenever you would enter a home, the first thing that would happen is, is that a servant would wash your feet. They don't have closed shoes like we did. They had Jerusalem cruisers. That's what we used to call them when I was a kid. You know, they were the tire tread bottom, and it was the leather straps. So their feet would be dirty. They walked everywhere. So the first thing when you entered a home, when you were going to share a meal, knowing that you're going to be laying right next to somebody else, and they didn't want your nasty feet in their face, first, right? First thing they did was wash their feet. Well, if you remember this night, this particular night, they had just entered the city. They, Jesus prophesied, you're going to go and you're going to find a man and you're going to say, the Lord needs this space for Passover. And they go and they set up Passover, but there's no servant to wash the feet. But this should have been understood. But what we find here is, is that instead, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God and who's going to sit next to Jesus. And then we get to verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. Food's already there. Everything's ready. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know what I love about this? Jesus didn't announce... <clears throat> Because you guys aren't doing it, I'm going to get up and do what you should have done. Jesus doesn't announce that. Nor does he rebuke them. Get behind me, dirty feet. No. Jesus just gets up and does what needs to be done. That's what, what serving is. Jesus didn't seek to be glorified in this moment. I love what he says. So, there's so much truth in here. But there's one, one thing I really want to, to draw our attention to. And that is, is that all 12 of the disciples were there. You know what that means? It means Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus already knew that the devil had entered Judas's heart, and that he would betray him. And yet, Jesus went to this man, 
And Jesus washed his feet. Because I believe that Jesus and his love is always seeking reconciliation and restoration. Pastor Stephen, I believe in that moment, Jesus was still hoping and longing for Judas' heart to turn back and say, please forgive me. I want to follow you again. See, the thing about serving as a believer, we don't get the right to decide who receives the love of Jesus. That's what I love about the Father's Market. I saw Mindy a minute ago. Mindy, are you still in here? If you, there she is. If you serve in the Father's Market, would you raise your hand? Nice. Love it. Come on. What I love about the Father's Market is you don't ask people at the door, are you a follower of Jesus? Who did you vote for? (laughs) You don't care what they look like. Mindy, I've seen people come in there with the worst attitudes, and you don't care. You know why? Because you're there to serve and to love. And that's exactly what Jesus did. This is the perfect example of what Jesus means when he says, serve. You know, oftentimes we we talk about tithes and offerings and we say, we give because we love. Well, you know what? We can just as easily say, we serve because we love. Right? So I love that you guys are the epitome, the, the living example of what Jesus demonstrated that night when he washed Judas's feet. Amen. Thank you, guys. All of you, thank you. Thank you. If you need a place to serve, to go, and just say, I don't have any skills, I don't know what I'm doing, (sighs) come on. You are welcome there. Amen. Let's pick this back up. John 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I know that there's people in here going, because you just don't like feet, or you don't like people touching your feet. But just make sure that that doesn't translate into not allowing people to touch your life. Right? For I have, listen up, I want you to listen up. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus himself provided the example. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, see, I think a lot of us know these things. But what does the rest of the verse say? Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. There's a script, I don't know exactly what the, the, the reference is, but it's like if you know to do something and you don't, it says it's a sin. Jesus said, would you put that scripture back up there? Because I think that this is so powerful. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You're not blessed simply because you know them. 
Jesus requires action, right? Remember, we're talking about being caught red-handed as a follower of Jesus. I titled this sermon, The Usual Suspects. Just kind of in keeping with the theme of the, the sermon series, The Usual Suspects. What do I mean by that? I see the same people serving week after week. The same people, the usual suspects. But that's not the way the kingdom of God should work. There should be 100% participation in the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God, which extends far beyond these four walls. I'm talking about serving your neighbor. I'm talking about going and shoveling somebody's sidewalk, picking up their leaves, scraping their windshield. I'm talking about stopping for the person that has a sign up on a cardboard that says I'm a disabled veteran. When was the last time you stopped for someone like that? Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Don't be those people that walk on the other side. Obviously, use discernment. Obviously. But God loves a cheerful giver. He never qualified the recipient. He talks about us and our heart and our motive. And that's always what the kingdom of God is about, is our heart and our motive. See, what I want is what Jesus wants for you, and that is, is that you would be blessed in doing these things. I want you to be blessed. So does Jesus. My hope and prayer is that after seeing Jesus' example, seeing what he says, I'm providing you an example that you should do what I have done. That there would be 100%, every single one of you would go out and say, Lord, how can I serve today? How can I demonstrate the love of Jesus to someone today? Not just in the safety of the church. Way more so outside the church. Remember, Jesus wasn't welcome in the synagogue. Get out. So church happened everywhere he went. Guess what? We are the church. Church should happen everywhere we go as well. Now, does this mean that you have to serve every service, every weekend, every month, all year long? No, absolutely not. In fact, I'm actually kind of anti-servant. Well, Don, what is it? Do you want us to serve or do you not want us to serve? <laughs> I want you to serve. But I want you to not fall into the trap that I fell into. I just want to tell you a little bit. When, I, when God brought us to Heart of the City Church, it was such a, a miraculous moment. I was having a spiritual reawakening, and um, Spencer Van Ling invited me to Heart of the City Church. This was back in 2012. And when I found a healthy church community where I could belong, I wanted to serve, right? And then I started serving out of joy and thankfulness because I was just happy to be a part of something. But over time, I found that I had created an unhealthy identity out of being a servant. 
Now, there's a difference between serving and then becoming a servant. And people would even comment. They'd be like, wow, gosh, Don's got such a servant's heart. And what it unknowingly was doing, what I was doing with that, was I was building a false identity around that. The problem with being a servant is, is that you never get to stop. You always have to keep going. Because really what you're looking for is that next attaboy, that next good job. Look at Don. Man, that's awesome. And you don't start out that way. You don't start out that way. You start out going, man, I just want to serve the Lord. I'm just so thankful. I want to serve the Lord. So when I say I want you to serve, what I'm not asking you to do is to build a false identity around being a servant. There's something I want. Will you put that, that next slide up? When we think like a servant, we won't act like a son. I want to talk about, there's a story, a story in, that Jesus talks about, and I want to talk about it now. We all know this story as the prodigal son story. But I want us to look at some really specific language in this story because I think that it really speaks to what we're talking about today. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 14. So this guy's already taken his inheritance. He's in a foreign land. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But he came to himself, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? In verse 18, listen to what he says. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Oh, wow. Do you see the mentality that he was struggling with? How many of us come into the kingdom of God and we think the same way? I was such... I was so awful, I was this, I was that. God, don't call me, I'm not worthy to be a son, just let me be a servant in the kingdom of God. And we bring into our relationship with him all of that baggage. Now, I remember a point in time where I was like, man, I just wanna be, I just wanna be a servant in the house of the Lord. I just wanna be a servant in the house of the Lord, which sounds super humble, but you know what? It's really bad theology because God doesn't adopt servants or slaves. He adopts children. And if God adopts you just so you can serve him, that's a bad God. God adopts sons and daughters. But see, sometimes we can get our identity all wrong. Just like this guy. Hey, look, treat me as a hired servant. Do you hear me? 
He, he wasn't even, he was ready to play this game where I'm not worthy to be a son. But I love the father who's a picture of our heavenly father because he never even lets him get those words out. Every action the father does is reaffirming his identity as a son. And that's what God does for us. Isn't that beautiful? And of course, we can't forget the older brother. Boy, does he have a bad case of servant-itis. Let's go to verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Ah, your brother has come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, liar. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's say it again. When we think like a servant, we won't act like a son. Do you see how both of these guys struggled with understanding who they were as a, as a child? Now, I don't know about your house, but when I grew up as a child, I had responsibilities in the house. I, I think I had a lot of them. I, I always think that I had way more than my brothers and sister. They might argue that, but we have responsibilities. See, the kingdom of God, it's a family business. It's a family business. And we have responsibilities to it, and we receive benefits from it. But it requires participation. If you serve as a son or daughter, you will do it out of obedience to what Jesus demonstrated and called us to do. If you serve as a son or daughter, you won't desire recognition or applause. If you serve as a son or daughter, you'll be challenged to serve in ways that may be uncomfortable for you. He's like, big old head nod over here, yes. I wanna look at one more truth and then we'll close. Actually, I wanna look at two more truths. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the music. I get lost in that music, dude. Let's go to John 15. Technically, this is a, a sermon about serving because that is one of the evidences. But really, this is more about engaging your identity as a child of God and how you can be obedient to what Jesus says. This is, this is really a sermon about identity. John 15, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. 
We're going to start in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Listen, listen to verse 15, 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Do you know that you're a friend of Jesus? I can't call you my friend and the same not be true for me. If I call Lori my friend, that means I'm her friend. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. That's the place from which we serve. We're going to close in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. interesting because this is this is written by somebody that was there that night in the upper room 1st Peter chapter 4 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling Listen up. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? Why do we serve? Because there's a need? Maybe. But this is really why we serve. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Serving doesn't have to occur in the church. But whatever God has graced you with, he says to serve for his glory. Amen.